Welcome to the Hurricane Labs podcast. I'm Heather, and today we're going to be talking about security and the Internet of Things, the ever-increasing number of connected devices in our homes, workplaces, and communities. So today I have several members of the Hurricane Labs team here to talk about uh, IoT from the InfoSec perspective and the challenges and opportunities these devices offer. Uh, thanks for joining me today, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, my name is Josh Silvestro. I am the uh, lead SOC architect. My name is Tom Kupchak. I touch Splunk and everything else that people ask me to do here. I am Kurt. Uh, I work in the SOC department as a uh, security architect. I'm Austin. I'm a part of the T1 SOC team. And uh, I'm Aaron. I'm uh, one of the T T1 uh, team leads. Uh, so now IoT refers to all of the devices like Alexa and my Wi-Fi connected slow cooker and smart TVs, but we also see them in businesses where they fulfill roles like door access and medical devices like heart rate trackers and uh, or even like customer metrics track uh, metric tracking. Um, so these are really really quite prevalent. What sort of challenges do these tools, do these uh, devices present? I'm very disturbed by a Wi-Fi connected <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. Because like I'll put, I'll, I'll thaw out the meat overnight inside the slow cooker. And then if I forget to start it in the morning, I can just start it from my phone when I'm at work. Obviously it's not an issue right now, but uh, it was very useful when I was leaving home at some point in my life. Um, it's also good to know that anyone else on the internet can uh, turn on your Yes. Screen. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I'm really actually excited for when Alexa can actually put the meat into the slow cooker and then start it for me. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet. At that point, just make her go to the store and buy everything too. Well, I already do all my shopping online and have them deliver it to my house. However, yeah. it'd be really great if she could like just get it off my front porch and bring it in. Well, they were talking at uh, Splunk Conf a couple years ago how, like, airport airport in Dubai, they have all kinds of monitoring in their bathrooms to figure out, like, if the soap level is too low and that kind of stuff. And also keeping track of, like, what percentage of people washed their hands and stuff like that. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, so it sounds like the same kind of thing. Yeah. The the other one that I had from, from later on was actually Starbucks um, utilizing a lot of IoT stuff to mine data from their consumers so that they can kind of like figure out what certain people like. So they know what other things to recommend people that buy that same stuff. Oh my God. Um, and then it also lets them kind of remotely update recipes and stuff at specific locations that, you know, might cater to certain kind of customers. It's, I don't know. It seems like they're using a lot of data from, from these IOT type devices to help uh, sales. Yeah, exactly. It's almost all sales. What do you think yeah. Alexa in your house is doing? Right. So um, what sort of issues do these devices present? I guess one of the first things that comes up is just the, the enormous amount of these products that are out there and which ones to trust. Uh, you, you, the end user is left kind of researching all of these things. And the things you end up buying are usually either the cheapest or the, the biggest names. And when you go with the cheapest, you're obviously going to have a lot more security concerns with those kinds of things because they're less updated, less maintained. So some users might not be thinking about that. They just want to get this product that does this thing and not realize that they might you know, become 
part of some kind of a compromised network and not even realize it. So that's, uh, that's probably one of the first concerns that comes to mind. Aaron, and another thing to throw that too, I mean, if you could like off the top of your head, even guess how many people even think about that when they're buying any of these devices, like, oh, this one's probably, you know, reaching out to China. Like, I don't think like, unless you really work in a security field or even in IT at all, like, do you really think those, those ideas cross anyone's mind in the first place? Yeah, for sure. Most of the time I would say it's, it's unlikely. Most people are just trying to get a product that does a thing they want you know their pretty lights to come on when they walk in the door or turn them on you know they they're not thinking about these kind of security concerns it's buy it plug it in connect it to the internet and go but uh yeah well and i think that that comes from trying to be secure by design right you know really good products um, are secure by design or unfortunately products that have gone through some bad stuff um, some hacks or incidents or, or really big publicity now try to be secure by design, you know, in pretty much any industry to some extent has always had something like that, right? Like when people were buying cars 20 years ago, they didn't care about the security system on the car or all these uh, auto braking and features and things that we've just come to expect now. 20 years ago, they barely cared about airbags and seatbelts though. So well, that's true, right? Like, cause when you're buying a product to turn your lights on, you're wanting to turn your lights on. When you're buying a car, you're thinking about potentially a luxury item to get you from A to B not thinking about the the things you need to stay safe right like a seat belt um the airbags auto braking stuff like that and the same goes for iot devices you know people are looking to turn on their lights or start their slow cooker they're not thinking about how secure that process is yeah they're, they're, they're buying for the need they're strictly looking for the want and the need of buying the device and not really looking outside of that and at least in line with you know challenges in iot it kind of goes with challenges in the workplace with iot one of the things that makes IoT especially difficult within the workplace is that they're so easy to set up. Um, most things nowadays, you just plug in, it grabs its information. Sometimes you have to download an app to do something, but but even then the process is so simple, you know, compared to if you were trying to hook a computer up to the network, all the setup and stuff you might have to do. So if you're a business um, and your network isn't extremely strict and, and tons of policies in place that are kind of constantly being updated and monitored, you know, in theory, someone could walk into your office and you know, plug in an IoT uh, slow cooker or an Amazon Alexa or whatever, have it connected to the network because it's convenient for them or they find the functionality at work to be to be great. Uh, meanwhile, you know, that kind of leaves your network open for attack. It's not unlike the whole situation with shadow IT in the cloud even, just uh, kind of a different avenue, but it's the same fundamental thing where if someone wants to do something, they'll find a way to do it. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think that most... People might not think like, oh, you know, at our company, we don't do that or you don't see that. But um, unfortunately, we hear plenty of stories here. And um, recently, I heard that one of their uh, a satellite office, which they thought was rather secured, they didn't realize um, for office management to make life easier, went around and placed, replaced every single thermostat with a smart thermostat, which caused some compliance issues and some other things. But no one was aware until there happened to be an on-site visit. So, I mean, it's something that just becomes normal for so many people in home life that if you're an office manager, well, it'd be great to be able to adjust the temperature on the weekends when we're not there or, or check in, um, or it'd be nice to be able to lock the doors, make sure everything's locked up and secured at night. So, you know, if you're an office manager or an employee or whatever the case may be, trying to make everyone's life easier, it's, it's not a, it's like a no brainer to swap out the locks for smart locks, thermostats for smart thermostats, um, you know, lights for smart lights, not realizing that every single one of those things you plug into the network is not only now part of your, your network, but also a potential breach point. You know, if something down the road happens, you know, <laughs> it, you don't want to be in the news because 
your network got hacked through a light bulb. But you know, as everyone knows, the infamous uh, fish tank story in, in Vegas, you know, anything's possible. So let's say I was a manager at a larger company and I wasn't really, you know, tech savvy at all. What do you think would be like the best way for me to go about setting up some of the devices? Like what would be some procedures we would, you know, take into consideration for me to put in the smart lights or even set up locks the right way? Yeah, sure. I mean, whether it's at home in your personal life um, or obviously, especially in, in a workplace, you know, you should have a segregated network set up all your smart light bulbs, smart locks, Alexas, anything that connects to the network that is an IoT device should be on its own network. That way, like worst case scenario, you know, your, your light bulb has some kind of vulnerability in it or your thermostat gets hacked. You know, it really limits the potential for a hacker to kind of pivot throughout your network from those initial entries. I mean, if anything, they'd be, you know, limited to pivoting between other devices in your network. I'm sorry, like IoT devices, you know, their light bulbs or whatever the case may be, which still could have its own hazards, right? If someone... Uh, cranks up all of the thermostats and, and tries to overheat the building and cause issues. But, you know, the, the first step is having them on their own network to just limit their exposure to everything else. Yeah. So you're essentially saying go set up VLANs and then have maybe like one management device that you could access the IoT, you know, everything from there and keep it away from touching any of your, you know, critical servers or anything of that, that standpoint. Yeah, definitely. And the truth is, especially if you get into the realm of smart light bulbs, which I know, um, a client was talking about, they started doing that for energy efficiency. I mean, that's, if you think about a building and think about all the lights and then in a very small office, let's say you have got 40, 50, hundred light bulbs, and those are all IOT light bulbs. That's essentially like having a hundred little computers on your network that someone could try to hack and get into your network. Yeah. And just to you funny, you bring up, I have very few like kind of odds off things in my, my house that are connected to the internet, but I do have some Philips Hue light bulbs. And I'm not sure if you've ever taken the time to go through and run a run MAP against it, or even run like a, do a TCP dump and actually look at what's going on. But the amount of ports and services that are opened up just from plugging in the light bulb and setting up the Hue bridge is atrocious. So I was doing something similar on like a smart light switch, uh, running MAP against it. There weren't actually as many ports available, but th there's like APIs that you could get a lot of information disclosure out of and, potentially even remotely control a thing on the same network using Python. So that was kind of interesting. Basically assume that, you know, someone on your network can do whatever those devices can do remotely. I mean, here's another thing to even think of too, like the average, the average house and everything, like even if you have a game system, I know for the, for example, Xboxes or even on a PC and stuff, like you have to set up port forwarding to get anything to even work with your games or whatnot. I mean, and then 90% of the time, if you go to look up like some kind of, you know, example online on how to set up port forwarding, it, it basically is opening your entire network up to that port, not just, you know, to a dedicated device. I mean, if you did something to that extent, and let's say your Hue light was running at the end of the port, you just forwarded out to the internet. I mean, what Tom just said, you, you could probably run APIs against that just directly from the WAN address. And the other thing, it's not like your IoT devices typically come up with a manual that lists all of the services they need in the app <laughs> to and all of that. I mean, oh. commercial products that like they don't Active Directory doesn't tell you that either. So, <laughs> at least in AD, you could probably end up doing it. The thing is, with any of the like Josh said, back to the how simplistic it is sometimes to turn the stuff on. Like sometimes it being over over simplistic, 
makes it hard to actually fine tune it for security purposes because you, you don't have the ability to turn off, you know, I don't want it sending, you know, feedback back to Q or whatever for Philip, the field Hue lights or whatever. Like I maybe don't want the data getting sent back. I don't have the option to turn that off. Yeah. And it's probably in the vendor's best interest, at least from their perspective to not let people do that too. Exactly. Like all this information. The other downside too, is if you're not doing anything special on your network, so you just have like an ISP router, I, you don't even have that option to, even if you wanted to, you know, do a VLAN or, or firewall it off. Yeah, I forget everyone here is running mostly like PFSense or some kind of open source firewall. I mean, I mean, consumer products like you just said, Austin, don't even really give you the choices to do that. Right. In, in that situation, like if you're just running a consumer router, I, I really the only thing that you can do is maintain best passwords. And then, you know, it, at that point, you're, best. <laughs> you're, you're, you're assuming risk by plugging in that device. And it's just a matter, it comes down to how much risk you want to um, put onto yourself. You know, if, if your light bulb, for example, your Hue bridge gets, gets popped, or if your front door lock uh, has a vulnerability and now everyone on the internet can you know, send a, a command or, uh, you know, to open up your front door, that's, that's a risk that you have to, to take. And I think one of the things to consider for that is, yeah, there's your local network security side of things. And sure, there's port forwarding and stuff, but I think it's fairly unlikely that the average consumer is going to actually have, you know, IP addresses publicly forward into their IoT devices. But you're putting a lot of trust in the vendor to secure their infrastructure or their cloud infrastructure that's keeping that all running. And as we know, vendors have a strong history of having very secure cloud platforms without things like S3 buckets and databases open up to the world. So we don't have to worry about that at all. Sarcasm. Don't forget those default passwords, Tom, that are hard to change. Oh, you mean like one, two, three, four, five, six, or whatever they like to use? <laughs> and, and that's the bad part of it is like, there's not, there's not in place standards to enforce vendors for having secure passwords or like whenever something happens, you know, something uh, hits the news that a vendor has gotten, um, you know, popped at that point. I mean, they can't, rec they, for the most part, they can't go back and change all those default passwords. So any new device going forwards may have a changed password or have the ability to change the default password. But any device that's older, um, you know, it's still vulnerable to that. So I think that California actually passed a law a year or two back banning default passwords in consumer electronics. I don't remember a lot of details about that, but that's an interesting thing, at least providing a mechanism to make it a little bit harder so that there's not that low-hanging fruit element of stuff. Would those standards be something like what Biden's uh, cybersecurity executive order? Yeah, um, I mean, some of, so I know a little bit about it, but some of that ties in, um, I mean, really at a, at a whole, Biden's trying to push forward standards and, and things like we have for other utilities and whatnot. Um, in the United States trying to push forward standards that we have to follow for security, uh, primarily focused at businesses first and vendors, um, if my understanding of it's correct. So that way there is some level of accountability. I mean, yeah. what, what Tom was saying, I mean, as far as California has some wonky stuff they do, but that would be a, that'd be a law that I would be all for because it really would prevent a lot of mistakes. Yeah, the, the chemicals in this product will cause you to die. Also, but, there's no default password. Yeah, that's fine. I'm cool with that clause. Uh, but 
as far as so we've just listed all the you know a lot of negatives of having ioc devices but do you feel like there's what, what are the pros of having them i mean do they do they outweigh the cons of the potential of opening up your network to to attacks kurt did you just call them ioc devices yeah i did that's amazing if you have iot you have iocs it's all the same stuff <laughs> I mean, there's tons of benefit. It's just, it just like everything else, you know, how does that weigh for you? Um, you know, personally in, in my house, there's very few things that aren't connected uh, to the internet. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're insecure. That doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, but like, I understand the risk. It is on a segregated network. I mean, I, I accept the information that I'm sharing. I mean, I accept the things that Alexa can hear and, and that's okay. Um, that doesn't bother me, but you know, the, the, peace of mind I have, um, you know, we have a dog at home. So if I'm out and there's a fire, like I'll get an alert right away. Um, you know, in the, in the early spring or late fall, when there's those weird days where it's generally cool all around, but suddenly, you know, jumps to 90 degrees, I'll get an alert saying, Hey, you're, you're upstairs where the dog normally is, um, is getting really warm. So I'll turn on the thermostat remotely. And like that gives a lot of peace and comfort or, um, we had a pipe break last year and we had some contractors in and out while we were out of town. I didn't have to give them a key or anything. They just let me know when they got here, I was able to unlock the door. Um, and heck, even last or two weekends ago, I wasn't home and um, <laughs> UPS showed up, rang the ring doorbell. They said, well, we can't leave this. We're not allowed to leave this outside. So I opened my garage remotely. He slid it in there. I saw on the camera, he walked out and I closed the garage. Like for me, those things make it way worth having them. But again, I understand the risk and, and the trade-off for me is okay. One of the first things I put in um, was a ring doorbell and the IDS picked up a clear trap or clear text authentication going across the network, which I thought was really crazy. Uh, I was able to grab a packet. I looked at it and sure enough, anytime I viewed the camera or you push the doorbell in order to connect to the cloud service, it was actually plain text sharing my email and password to connect, That's um, cute. which luckily, you know, I've got a unique password for everything. So truthfully, I didn't care again, uh, but then it was just like, and I did send something into into um, Ring, but it was like two months later is when they came out and said, hey, here's a major update for clear text that was brought to our attention by whatever security research team they use. So I think it's important kind of touching back on like security, not only is it segregating networks important, but I mean, you should still be monitoring those networks. If you're a, a corporate entity and you have an IoT network and everything is segregated, you should still monitor those things. I wouldn't just consider it, you know, uh, walled off and safe and secure and, or who cares what happens over there. It's still good to know. Um, and things like that, you know, IDS on that network or, or some basic monitoring, looking for devices trying to connect to each other. I totally um, agree. Just because just you isolated the IOC devices doesn't mean, you know, you still can't pivot around on the same VLAN you set up. Still doesn't mean it can't call out to the internet. Still doesn't mean you can't control things. You still want to know what's going on. Um, you're just really the only thing the VLANs are doing is preventing it from maybe hitting, you know, your other computers on your network or, you know, if you're in a corporate environment, any of your servers, et cetera. If you don't go about setting that up the right way, if you didn't know that that was sending over clear text, like say for your password and you didn't recognize it and you didn't have your password, you know, individual for each one. Like for example, um, I know a lot of my friends use like, you know, the same password for everything or, you know, don't ever even use anything over eight, eight characters. But that could have caused stuff on their end to get compromised on it without having the knowledge to do all the other security practices on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and that's the hard thing. Again, products are all designed for what they're to do first and, and security is definitely an afterthought. And just to kind of cycle through 
different vendors, you know, I already talked about Ring. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine had some troubles with the Nintendo Switch. He got uh, getting out to the internet and it was like a very unique issue. So I was looking through Nintendo support articles and one of the things they recommended, they said sometimes ISP provided routers can cause issues. So we recommend removing the router and connecting your Switch directly to the modem to play <laughs> games. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's a big no-no for anyone in security. You're like, your first thought is, you know, not even a, a basic router between you. You're just putting your switch on the, you know, the internet for anyone to use. Yeah. But that's because at the end of the day, Nintendo doesn't care about the security. They want you to be able to play your games. So you keep buying games, you keep using their service. And that's true of any product, right? If you're Samsung with their smart things or Apple with their home stuff, like at the end of the day, the truth is the thing you care about is people buying more of those light bulbs, more of those thermostats or more of whatever. And if you're one of those companies that's lucky enough to stay out of the news for security thing, then you don't ever really care. That's a, that's the nice thing is you as a consumer can essentially pick and choose what products you want on your network. I mean, there's different protocols. Uh, in, instead of going Wi-Fi to have all your devices connected, if you're a little bit more technically savvy, you can use something like Zigbee, which just uses you know local, uh, local radio uh, frequency to turn on and off switches. Um, then you would use like a service, um, such as like say home assistant to pull it all together. And the guys here know how much I, I personally like home assistant, uh, but it, it, what it is, it's basically a open source web server slash platform that you can feed all the API keys for your IOT devices um, and have one panel so you can build automations. And I mean, I can go down that rabbit hole for, for a couple hours, but <laughs> basically if you don't want to have a device that's, that's cloud connected, there, there are options. Um, for example, just a website off the top of my head, cloudfree.shop. They sell nothing but uh, devices that are flashed to work over the LAN only. It doesn't reach out to any sort of cloud service. You can, still, cool. you can still access it. I mean, if you want to access it outside of your network, of course, you'll have to port forward home assistant and do all that fun stuff. But you have the option to choose the devices that you want on your network. So... I guess that one of my next question was, is, I mean, what you said, Austin, I mean, all that's awesome, but I don't think the average person, I mean, hell setting up the radio frequency and trying to do that to control some of the stuff around my house would probably be a task for me to figure out from the start, but. Right. That's definitely an, like a, an advanced level. Um, but like, if you were interested in setting up something like home assistant, even they, they make like image installs now that you can throw on a raspberry Pi, or they even have a standalone device. It comes flash with home assistant. All you do is plug it in and configure it. I get that what we were talking about earlier, how easy it is to set something up doesn't necessarily mean that it's secure, but the nice thing about home assistant being open source is that it's one of the bigger projects on GitHub currently. And there are constant push requests to it daily. So you can actually go back through and do code review to determine if you're safe or not. And I guess that comes down to risk, how much risk you want to actually put on uh, to your network, how much you want to you know, assume. What would you say are some good ways, since we've talked about all the like, crazy technical stuff that we could do to you know, set up VLANs or things that are kind of out of reach of the normal consumer, what do you guys think are like some good recommendations that the average user could do to try to keep their stuff secure? I guess, you know, even before trying to secure network and do all that, pick a brand you trust. And, and like Apple has a good history of being secure. Um, you know, Samsung, depending on the product, has a good history of being secure. But that's also, that can also hurt you too, too because you'll get put into, you know, the Samsung uh, ecosystem with, with smart things and, or going down the home kit route with Apple. 
I mean, it, it, it does come down to a brand that you can trust. Um, I mean, that's, that's one of the other benefits that I personally like about Oasis. You can pull those different brands together and have one ecosystem, but if you're going to stick with just totally one, one brand, definitely pick someone that you can trust. I mean, outside of like sticking on brands though, if you put, you know, outside of like relying on the third party, like even just setting up a password manager, like something that you could do, or even setting up two factor on all your logins on things kind of, things that the, the end user could do without having to rely on a third party. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, I think, so again, I don't know that you can, at least I know there's tons of custom stuff you can do like we were just talking about, but the truth is for, you know, as you ask the average consumer or even what you're more than likely going to go ahead and see um, in a corporate environment, the, the kind of devices that are going to sneak in aren't going to be those extremely custom things. They're going to be the plug and play things that tie yep. back to Apple's home kit, or uh, I personally have been using smart things forever. And the nice thing is, so, and I'm not talking about like brand loyalty in the sense that like, why well, I love my iPhone, so I'm sticking with Apple. It's, you know, to choose a company that even if you like their products, that they have a good history, that they have security involved in their products. Um, and even if, you know, Apple's had incidents, Samsung's had incidents, but they've become brands for being reputable for trying to make secure choices. But, you know, humans aren't perfect, so codes aren't perfect. But if you pick a good brand, um, smart things, for example, through Samsung, in order to even set up their product, their hub to control everything, you have to have two-factor on your account. Um, anytime there's a sign-in to a new sign-in to the SmartThings app from a phone it hasn't seen before, it lets you know. Like that, that comes down to choosing a brand you trust. That's, I'm sure Apple does the same thing, right? They're enforcing two-factor in all of their devices, their phones. So I can only imagine their home control devices are the same. And even, uh, even Google just announced this week that they're going to start enforcing two-factor. Perfect. Right. And so the nice thing is, um, you know, when you, there's definitely standalone bulbs and stuff you can get that are all IP based, but you make a good point when you talk about, you know, how everything connects back to the hub, right? So pretty much every light bulb and lock and everything in my house is either a Zigbee or a Z-Wave and connects back to the smart things hub. The benefit of that is, you know, you don't have to, to worry about a hundred different devices per se and, and how they're configured. You're really relying on Samsung to be doing the right thing within this hub. So it's more about managing one product in theory, controlling 20, 30, 40 other devices. What about on the manufacturing side, what companies who are making IoT devices can sort of watch out for or what they should be watching out for that they aren't? If you're the manufacturer of the product, you should be trying to be secure by design, right? Using coders and and, and people that understand security, having a proper lifecycle process for your software to review and make sure that the software is constantly up to date with best practices um, and being reviewed to find any kind of uh, issues that might have been overlooked during the development process. And then touching on what Aaron had said, you know, making it secure by default, right? Don't, when the app is opened by default, have it be as secure as possible, you know, force uh, two-factor authentication, um, have, you know, as far as privacy stuff goes, have those boxes unchecked and require checks to opt in, you know, and I would love to see that. Some products do that, not many, but some do. Yeah. I guess the only other, uh, the only other item I had regarding manufacturers is that not every place may be able to have a dedicated team of security minded individuals. And I think that's where some places like Microsoft have tried to attack that market. People who can't necessarily do the security for themselves, but will pay for some kind of a service to make sure their, their product has some kind of a, we're protected by, you know, this big name kind of thing. So Microsoft's developed this Azure Sphere platform, which is a chip that you can put in your embedded IoT kind of device. 
and then they manage security on that device for the life cycle of that device. That is an option where if some place does not want to dedicate to having a security, like a full, like blown security development team. All right. So what is one key takeaway that individuals or businesses should have about IoT? Be smart about your passwords. That's my top one. I would say that it's kind of inevitable. So make sure you're choosing a brand you trust, or at least a brand you trust enough to uh, what the, how they're going to handle your information and that they're going to maintain their product uh, to try to keep you, you know, your business or your home safe. I'm thinking understand what the devices are doing, what connections they're making, who they're communicating with. And if you don't know what's happening, it's hard to understand and control it. I'm probably the more cynical one with all of the IoT stuff. But if I were to give one takeaway with all of it is I, I definitely think when you find the right product, you can definitely find IoT devices that the pros will outweigh the cons. I, I just think you got to be smart with the decisions you make as far as who you're buying it from and how you're setting it up locally on your network. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking time to talk about this today. We appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. Thank you for having us, Heather. And that's all for today. Be sure to check out our links below. We've put together a checklist detailing ways that you can better secure your devices, as well as a number of other resources regarding IoT security. Until next time, stay safe.